Hey there, friends. It's Lucifer Means Lightbringer, your Cernuno friend. And today we're going deeper into the woods than ever before. And yes, I'm on camera, but don't worry. I do have pictures. Look, pictures and captions. Right there, right there. Nobody panic. I've got a script here that's dealing with a couple of scenes that have never been drawn and would have been very challenging to do visuals for. So I'm doing this video partially on camera and I'll still, of course, fit in some pictures for you guys. But this is a scripted video podcast not a live stream, so don't go anywhere if you're one of those people that doesn't have the patience for the live streams. We're getting right into it today. So this is going to be a classical mythical astronomy close reading of the text. And it's going to prove my wild green man theories true beyond the shadow of a doubt. And if you're feeling unfamiliar with what that means, a close reading, well, you're in for a treat. In fact, even if you don't feel particularly strongly about green men, such as I do, this video will be an excellent example of the hyper-advanced story-within-a-story techniques that George R.R. R. Martin employs. I don't know of any other author that works like this in this level of detail, and this is one of the very best examples. And it just so happens to prove everything I've been saying about the green men to be true. Oh yes, that's right, and chiefly I've said a few specific things in the first two Origins of the Green Man videos, which you should definitely watch before this one to get the full effect. First off, in the Garth the Green Man video, I said that the legends of the green men being some sort of fawn-like or elvish humanoid species with green skin and antlers or horns on their head are more or less correct, and that we should think about them as some sort of taller cousin to the children of the forest. I've proposed that the Garth the Green legends seem to be talking about a green man, and that by looking at all the Garth and Green Man legends together, we can see that the green men were involved with both planting weirwoods and giving weirwoods faces and that they were almost certainly green seers. Going further, I propose that the green men may have been necessary to give a tree a face in the first place, and or that the green men were the first ones to carve faces into weirwood trees and open them up for sorcerous use, such as we see in the main story. We can also assume that they probably have knowledge and magic pertaining to ending the long night, since green man mythology in general is all about depicting the turning of the cycle of the seasons, of course. And the Long Night is, first and foremost, a winter that breaks the cycle by refusing to give way to spring. Now, in the Isle of Lang video, we started talking about the Old Ones. Garth the Green and the Horned Green Men are very clearly cast in the image of the folkloric figure known as Cernunos, or Cernunos, I've heard both pronunciations. In any case, Old Cernunos, he's known as the Great Old One. But then in the world of ice and fire, we hear of a vanished race of beings called the Old Ones, who may or may not live in haunted underground cities beneath the jungles of Lang, a faraway island in the Jade Sea. Could these Langi Old Ones be the same as the Green Men, who are cast in the image of Cernunos the Old One, I wondered? Well, the native people of Lang aren't quite normal humans, which means they may have interbred with some other sort of magical humanoid, presumably these mysterious old ones in their deep jungle. And the features of the Langi seem to give us hints at what the old ones may look like. The Langi are the tallest people in the world, and they have large golden eyes. I'm doing my best Langi cosplay here. It's not very good, but it's what I got. So anyways, those Langi, they have large golden eyes that can see in the dark, very like the children of the forest who also have large golden eyes that can see in the dark. And the skin tone of the Lengi also seems to match that of the children of the forest. But humans who interbreed with the children end up short, like the Cranogmen, like Jojen and Mira Reed, while the Lengi are very tall, seven to eight feet, it says. So we're left to conclude that the Lengi acquired their potential non-human traits, their height and their golden eyes, 
from interbreeding with those old ones in the jungle, who must be tall and who must have large golden eyes. Kind of like the children of the forest, only tall instead of short. As it turns out, George Martin took the idea of a freaky-deaky place called Lang with abandoned and haunted underground cities built by the old ones directly from H.P. Lovecraft. And when we take a visit to Haunted Lang in Lovecraft's dream world, well, we find fawn-like humanoids with horns on their head. That's interesting because, well, that kind of sounds like the horned green men on the Isle of Faces. And the green men could definitely qualify as a taller cousin race to the children of the forest, such as we suspect the old ones on Lang to be. And once again, the green men look exactly like Cernunos people, and Cernunos is called the Great Old One. There's a lot more to it than that, so please do watch the Holy Isle of Lang video. But the bottom line is that I believe that the old ones of Lang and the green men of Westeros are at the very least the same species. It's even possible that the Green Men of Westeros originally came from Lang, and remember that it's said that Garth the Green Man may have led the first First Men to Westeros from the East. I arrived at this conclusion by piecing together far-flung world-building clues and references to external literature, but this video here is kind of the best part of the whole thing, the part where I can show you how this theory is supported by tricky wordplay and symbolism in key scenes from the main story. It all revolves around the phrase, old ones. So, just remember that I've already told you that the green men are antlered, garth-like stag people. That they were the original green seers, and that they are the same as the old ones from Lang. And prepare to be amazed. Alright friends, for today's guest promo reading, I've got a little bit of a fandom crossover here. Please welcome Treebeard the Ent from Fangorn Forest. Hmm, hello, little hobbits. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm actually not a hobbit, I'm just a podcast host. But thank you for coming on, Treebeard. Uh, yeah, so if you could just... Hmm, uh... hmm. yes, hmm. I heard you were talking about trees. Ah, hmm. uh, yeah, trees, totally. We're talking about... We're talking about a lot of trees. Uh, if you could just read those I notes that I gave you. I love trees. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, yes, the notes. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, the notes, if, if you could just read them. Uh, hello, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, motherfucker, forget it. This was a stupid idea. To listen to the... So, I ask again, did these stag men ever exist? Are the green men who guard the weirwoods on the Isle of Faces really the old ones from Lang? Here, my friends, is the first scene in the Winterfell Godswood in the entire series, and our very first glimpse of a weirwood tree. For her sake, Ned had built a small sept where she might sing to the seven faces of God, but the blood of the first men still flowed in the veins of the Starks, and his own gods were the old ones, the nameless, faceless gods of the Greenwood they shared with the vanished children of the forest. Oh my god, Ned prays to the old ones. The old ones are the nameless and faceless gods of a vanished race. You'll notice how this also plays into the Lovecraftian idea of the Old Ones as vanished or hibernating gods, who used to have dominion over the Earth, and who, maybe just maybe, can still be summoned or called on for magic power. What the Northmen refer to as the Old Gods is really the hive mind made up of all the dead green seers, which seem to somehow inhabit the weirwood trees, and these are the Old Ones? Well, if the first green seers were green men, then this makes sense. The old gods are the green seers, and the first green seers might have been green men, who are really the old ones from Lang. 
Now, coincidence really must be ruled out here immediately. There's simply no chance that George R.R. R. Martin, steeped in both Lovecraftian lore and Cernunos lore as he is, accidentally used the phrase the old ones in a scene where he's introducing us to the heart tree and the godswood. At the very least, it seems that he likes to draw upon the accumulated mystique of phrases like the old ones, the deep ones, or the horned lord. And I think he's doing that and more. Because it ain't just Ned praying to the old ones, my friends. The gate is lost. Donald Noy had closed it and chained it, but it was there for the taking. The iron bars glimmering red with reflected firelight, the cold black tunnel behind. No one had fallen back to defend it. The only safety was on top of the wall, 700 feet up the crooked wooden stairs. What gods do you pray to? John asked Satin. The Seven, the boy from Old Town said. Pray then, John told him. Pray to your new gods, and I'll pray to my old ones. That was from A Clash of Kings, from the battle to defend Castle Black from the Magnar of Then and his wildling raiders. Satin will pray to the Seven, and John will pray to his old ones, just like his father. The implication is the same as in the previous scene. The Green Seers inside the Weirwood Net are the old ones, some of them at least. Now, the settings of these two quotes that we just read tell us a lot. The first takes place in our first scene in the Winterfell Godswood, like I mentioned, and just a few sentences after we read that Ned's own gods were the old ones, the nameless, faceless gods of the Greenwood. The green men themselves are mentioned. In the south, the last weirwoods had been cut down or burned out a thousand years ago, except on the Isle of Faces, where the green men kept their silent watch. Up here it was different. Here every castle had its godswood, and every godswood had its heart tree, and every heart tree its face. It's notable that George Martin, who is of course a self-described gardener-style writer who likes to flesh out his story as he goes along instead of outlining everything from the start, has this weirwood ecosystem, if you will, all spelled out for us right from the beginning. The godswoods, the heart trees, the children of the forest, and the green men on the Isle of Faces as the last repository of weirwoods in the south. Martin is suggesting that the old gods of the weirwood can be thought of as the old ones, and as the nameless gods of the Greenwood, and then in the same breath, he's telling us that people called the Green Men keep silent watch over the Weirwoods on the Isle of Faces. What I'm saying is simply that the vanished old gods of the Greenwood are Green Men, who were Old One Greenseers that vanished into the Weirwood. The second Old One's passage with Jon Snow praying to his old gods takes place during a battle between the Night's Watch and the raiders from the north who've come over the wall. And if you've watched some of my recent videos about Jon Snow, then you'll know that the wildlings are often used as symbolic stand-ins for the others, especially when they invade Westeros from the lands north of the Wall. Ergo, this is a symbolic Night's Watch versus the others War for the Dawn scene, and our hero leader of the Watch is a skin changer who's praying to the old ones. He learned that from his old dad, of course. It's a stark tradition. Now, there's a lot more to say about the connection between the Night's Watch and the Green Men, so please do check out the Sacred Order of Green Zombies podcasts and videos, as well as a video called Timeline Heresies, The Pact and the Hammer of the Waters, if you're interested to see how all this connects. I did already say that the reason that Bran might need to visit the Green Men on the Isle of Faces is to gain knowledge or magic needed to end the magical winter of the Long Night and get the cycle of the seasons turning once more if only because that's what green men and horned god folklore is all about, 
the turning of the seasons. And if you watch some of those green zombie videos, you'll see that there are a lot of clues that the green men helped get the seasons unstuck, if you will, the first time around. In addition to all that, we already know that the origins of the Night's Watch involve Children of the Forest, as the last hero is said to have needed some sort of crucial help from the Children of the Forest to turn the tide against the others. We also know that the Night's Watch records speak of the children arming the Watch with dragonglass to fight the others. Most crucially, we've seen that the Night's Watch recruits who worship the old gods of the Weirwoods say their vows in front of Weirwood heart trees, like John and Sam did in A Game of Thrones, which means they are effectively swearing their lives to the Greenseers inside the Weirwood. And since the original Night's Watchmen would presumably all have been Weirwood worshipping first men, we can see that the Night's Watch was literally created around the Weirwood and with the help of the power of the old gods. Who were the old ones? The nameless and faceless gods of the Greenwood. Stop me if you've heard this before. In any case, that's why John is praying to the old ones right before a symbolic War for the Dawn type battle. The original last hero may have needed the direct magical help of green men to do his thing. Just as the lines about Ned praying to the Old Ones are followed by a mention of the Green Men, John's prayer to the Old Ones is preceded by a passage mentioning the Horned Lord only a few pages before, and right as night falls and the battle begins. The west had gone the color of a blood bruise, but the sky above was cobalt blue, deepening to purple, and the stars were coming out. John sat between two marlins with only a scarecrow for company and watched the stallion gallop up the sky. Or was it the horned lord? All right, so the first lines are figurative long night language. The stars are coming out, as in coming out of the sky like meteors or bleeding stars. And the sky is appropriately the color of blood to complete the picture. The picture of bleeding stars, which are moon meteors, which cause the long night. Anyway, next comes the key line about the constellations. The same one known in the south as the stallion is known in the north as the horned lord. But Odin, as the god of shamanism, is himself a horned lord or horned god. And a celestial stallion who rides the sky... It's just a reference to Odin's magic tree, Yggdrasil, which is thought of as Odin's horse because he can use it to travel the cosmos. And of course, one translation of Yggdrasil is literally Odin's horse. And the idea is, once again, of a metaphorical shamanic horse that the shaman can use for astral travel. The Weirwoods are very closely modeled on Yggdrasil, and the Greenseers in turn very closely modeled after Odin, Bloodraven especially, and George Martin employs the Weirwood horse symbolism quite a bit. Check out the video called Weirwood Compendium Shamanic Thunder Horse for more on that. And for fun, Duncan Egg symbolism. And so, this celestial stallion galloping up the sky that John sees before praying to the Old Ones is a very lovely and poetic way of talking about shamans and green seers using magic trees to fly through the stars. And of course, you'll remember that green seeing is referred to as flying all through Brand's chapters. So, the celestial stallion, the weirwood in other words, is the horned lord because the first green seers to use the weirwoods as astral projection horses, if you will, were the horned green men, the old ones that John and Ned pray to. Recall again Ned's horny memory of Robert in his youth. He saw the king as he had been in the flower of his youth, tall and handsome, his great antlered helm on his head, his warhammer in hand, sitting his horse like a horned god. See, I told you it was a horny memory. What? It is. He's wearing antlers. And more specifically, he's sitting his horse like a horned god. Like a horned god, riding the Weirwood Stallion. I sure hope he doesn't drop his hammer of the waters like those green men did with all that Weirwood blood magic that they learned back on the Holy Isle of Lang. 
Early on in A Clash of Kings, we have a harvest feast at Winterfell, and Bran Stark is seated in the oaken seat of his father and presiding over the feast. Harvest feasts are, of course, prime horned lord territory. That's when the horned god is sacrificed in most mythologies, at the end of summer as nature loses its green. You may recall that, about Garth the Green, the world of ice and fire says... In some stories, the green god dies every autumn when the trees lose their leaves, only to be reborn with the coming of spring. And that, of course, is par for the green man course. And yes, that's both a golfing green and a Garth is the main course slash green man slash cannibalism slash harvest feast joke. You're catching on marvelously. You must have seen the Jojen Paste video. Now in the Oak and Holly King setup, Bran is symbolic of the sacrificed Oak King here at the Harvest Feast, sitting in the oaken seat as he is. And of course his name Bran implies him as food and bread for the people, which is why the crows are always asking him for corn. Bran is a corn king who feeds the people with his life, with the corn king being a modern name for the archetype that includes Cernunos and the Green Men and all the rest of the sacrificed nature gods. Check out the King Bran series as well as Weirwood Compendium 2, A Burning Brandon, for the full scoop there. Two scoops of Raisin Bran. I apologize. So that's the setting here. It's a harvest feast scene, just the sort of place Martin might look to hide clues about the green men. The other major player in the scene, and I do mean major, is Wyman Manderley, Lord of White Harbor, and covert Garth Greenman figure. He actually compares very well to over-the-hill Robert Baratheon. Both are large and jolly Garth-like people who love to throw huge feasts. Robert sits his horse like a horned god, while Wyman is called out as being too fat to sit his horse. However, Wyman and all the lords of White Harbor claim the title of Knight of the Order of the Green Hand, a title inherited from the days when House Manderley made their home on the Mander River in the Reach, where all the houses claim descent from Garth the Green, who is, of course, also called Garth Greenhand. That's pretty on the nose. Order of the Green Hand, Sacred Order of Green Men. And for symbolic purposes, this title implies Wyman as a Green Man Knight, as someone who is playing the role of a Green Man. Then there's the name Wyman itself, which means protector or warrior while mander can be a form of meander, like the course of a river meanders, but can also mean to command or to inform, which complements the protector-slash-warrior implication of the name Wyman. So, Wyman is a green knight, a green man warrior, and a garth figure, a large fellow with hella food and hella stags, just like the feast-loving, antler-hat-wearing Robert, who frequently wears hunting greens, and like Robert's feast-loving, antler-hat-wearing brother Renly, who wears green armor, brings all the food from the Reach to King's Landing, and is flat out called the Green Knight, itself a reference to a character from a 14th century Arthurian poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. There are even some more comedic parallels between Wyman and Robert in this Winterfell Harvest Feast scene, as Wyman is called Windy and has a booming laugh, while the Baratheons, of course, are known as Storm Lords, Windy Fellows, and are, of course, good laughers themselves, with Robert laughing it up in the Winterfell Crypts in that early A Game of Thrones chapter, and with one of his ancestors being Lionel Baratheon, the Laughing Storm. In any case, Wyman no sooner then shows up at the Harvest Feast and says hello, then begins talking of the Old Ones at White Harbor, who seem to have a thing for stags. He began by asking Winterfell to confirm the new customs officers he had appointed for White Harbor. The Old Ones had been holding back silver for King's Landing rather than paying it over to the new King of the North. King Rob will need his own coinage as well, he declared, and White Harbor is the very place to mint it. So, the Old Ones customs officers are replaced by Wyman. 
He surely threw them in prison, perhaps the wolf's den, if he was especially wroth. We'll go visit the wolf's den and its monstrous weirwood in just a minute, which is why I mention it. But notice that the old one's custom agents were holding back silver, and silver coins are stags. The green men rode stags in some legends and look like stags in others, so this seems thematically on point. Those old one's officers were holding back stag coins for a stag king, too, it should be mentioned, since Joffrey is using the name Baratheon. Even though that little shit Joffrey isn't mine. Now, if I really wanted to push it, I could say that the word minting implies the silver stags as green plants, just as the stag-like green men became trees. Or I could point out that minting coins involves stamping them with faces, which kind of reminds me of giving weirwood trees faces. But I don't want you to roll your eyes so hard that you look like Bran taking a vacation during the short night fight. Also, you put green mint leaves in your mouth, and Bran ate his green friend to become a green seer. I again apologize. All right, so let's go to White Harbor and look for these old ones that we heard about from Lord Wyman, Knight of the Order of the Green Hand. Spoiler alert, they are here. As you may recall, the Wolf's Den is the oldest part of White Harbor, being an old fortress made of black stone, which houses White Harbor's godswood, which of course has a very old and large weirwood tree. This is from Davos's sojourn in the Wolf's Den, and it's a great piece of writing in its own right, one of the reasons I love A Dance with Dragons so, so much. Aside from his keepers, Davos Seaworth had the Wolf's Den to himself. He knew there were true dungeons down in the castle cellars, oubliettes and torture chambers and dank pits where huge black rats scrabbled in the darkness. His jailers claimed all of them were unoccupied at present. Only us here, Onion, Sir Bartimus had told him. He was the chief jailer, a cadaverous, one-legged knight with a scarred face and a blind eye. When Sir Bartimus was in his cups, and Sir Bartimus was in his cups most every day, he liked to boast of how he had saved Lord Wyman's life at the Battle of the Trident. The Wolf's Den was his reward. The rest of us consisted of a cook Davos never saw, six guardsmen in the ground floor barracks, a pair of washerwomen, and two turnkeys who looked after the prisoner. Thierry was the young one, the son of one of the washerwomen, a boy of ten and four. The old one was Garth, huge and bald and taciturn, who wore the same greasy leather jerkin every day and always seemed to have a glower on his face. His years as a smuggler had given Davos Seaworth a sense of when a man was wrong, and Garth was wrong. The Onion Knight took care to hold his tongue in Garth's presence. Okay, wow, so the old one here is actually named Garth. Talk about being right on the nose. And in all seriousness, I want to say again that this cannot be coincidence. In one place, we're told that the Old Ones are the old gods of the Weirwood, and here the Old Ones are associated with Garth, who is a green man. Garth, the Old One, is in charge of a black fortress built around a godswood, which has since become a prison. And of course, you recall from the Garth the Green Man video that a fishing weir, also called a fish Garth, is a wooden, dam-like structure that traps fish. Kinda like a fish prison. Exactly like a fish prison, actually. <laughs> the weirwood trees, in turn, trap the souls of green seers inside them, and even visually trap the green seers in their weirwood roots, very much like a fishing weir physically traps fish in its wooden meshwork. But again, a fishing weir is also called a fish garth, and so here is Garth the jailer of a prison built around weirwood, and he's the old one, just as Sir Nunos is the great old one, and just as the old ones of Lang are really horny Sir Nunos folk. Now look, I know this shit is a little tricky, but we are well beyond the possibility of coincidence here. And such is the genius of George R. R. Martin's ability to weave folkloric influences together to make his stories come to life. 
He even made the wolf's den prison so that the tides come in and out, flooding through the lower levels, which means it's literally straining the water, just like a fish garth or a fishing weir. Check it out as Robert Glover leads Davos out of the wolf's den. They crossed the castle's godswood, where the heart tree had grown so huge and tangled that it had choked out all the oaks and elms and birch, and sent its thick, pale limbs crashing through the walls and windows that looked down on it. Its roots were as thick around as a man's waist, its trunk so wide that the huge face carved into it looked fat and angry. Beyond the weirwood, Glover opened a rusted iron gate and paused to light a torch. When it was blazing red and hot, he took Davos down more steps into a barrel-vaulted cellar where the weeping walls were crusted white with salt, and seawater sloshed beneath their feet with every step. As you can see, it really is a weir prison, with the heart tree growing in and through the castle itself. Go beyond the weeping weirwood and you find the watery part of the weir prison, where the white walls weep. A white weir that weeps, both in the godswood above and in the vaulted darkness below. I hope this isn't like symbolism overkill or anything here. If there is such a thing, the weir symbolism is surely it. Alright, so I just said that Garth's wolf's den is like a weirwood prison, right? I mean, it literally is a weirwood prison, but it's also serving the symbolic role of a weirwood, which is prison-like. So consider the other person that lives here who gets a detailed description. The cadaverous, one-eyed Sir Bartimus. He's a clear nod to one-eyed Odin, and more importantly, to Bloodraven, a one-eyed Greenseer, whom Bran describes as looking half a corpse, i.e. cadaverous. The name Bartimus is also a form of Barth, as in the famous Septonbarth, and Barth is one letter away from Garth. The word Barth means, and you're gonna like this, a place of shelter for cattle, which, <laughs> it's a prison for horny folk, folks, run by Barth and Garth. I have to think we're supposed to laugh at this stuff, guys, so enjoy it. Now, don't forget this whole place is owned by Wyman Manderley, the commander and protector of the Order of the Green Hand, who throws the Old One's custom officers in Weir Prison when they hoard silver stags for their stag king. Hey there, guys. Cutting in late with an editor's note, I noticed as I was producing this episode that Bartimus also has a scarred face, like a weirwood tree. And just a minute later, in a quote we're about to read, his face looks like a skull. So this is just more weirwood symbolism for Sir Cattleholm. Now, if you count them up, there are 12 people who live here at the Wolf's Den, plus Davos, the imprisoned hero. This is what we like to call last hero math around here, since the last hero had 12 companions, like Christ and the 12 disciples. The crux of the Green Zombies theory is that the last hero and his 12 dead companions ended up as resurrected skin changers and green seers. Just like I believe Cold Hands is a resurrected green seer or skin changer, and just as Jon Snow will soon be a resurrected skin changer, who's leading the Night's Watch against the others. The point of being a resurrected skin changer is so that you can be a thinking, conscious zombie like Cold Hands, because, well, thinking, conscious zombies like Cold Hands are ideally suited to face the cold deadlands of always winter. Since they don't need to eat, sleep, or stay warm. That is why we have 12 people plus a hero here in the Wolf's Den Weir Prison. Symbolically speaking, they're waiting to be reborn as Green Zombie Night's Watchmen, essentially. And the same goes for last hero Davos, as we'll see in a moment. The symbolic picture here is a mirror to Jon's spirit, which, at the end of A Dance with Dragons, is waiting to be reborn inside his weirwood-colored wolf. And of course, John is a key last hero parallel, probably the most important one. Reborn through the weirwoods, or through the weirwood-colored wolf. That's the basic concept. And I'll also add that the idea of raw green boys like John and Sam being reborn as Night's Watchmen in a weirwood grove 
is simply an echo of the last hero's dozen being resurrected with green seer magic, according to me anyways. Davos is playing the last hero role here at the Wolf's Den, and fittingly, he does a symbolic weirwood death to get inside. The Onion Knight had not forgotten Wyman Manderley's last words to him. Take this creature to the Wolf's Den and cut off his head and hands, the Fat Lord had commanded. I shall not be able to eat a bite until I see the smuggler's head upon a spike with an onion shoved between his lying teeth. Here's what I mean by symbolic weirwood death, and this is called the weirwood stigmata symbolism, at least by me who found it, and you can learn more about this in the Weirwood Goddess series. As anyone who reads A Song of Ice and Fire knows, the weirwoods look like dead people in several ways. The red leaves are described as being dark red like a thousand blood-stained hands, the tree's bone-white trunks have bloody faces carved into them, and they bleed from the eyes and the mouth. And, of course, they also have the spirits of dead people inside them. So, when George wants us to see someone like Davos as symbolically dying and entering the weirwood net, he has those people manifest the weirwood stigmata, as Davos does here by way of Wyman's talk of having his head and hands cut off. The bloody head and hands are the body parts that match the weirwood tree's description. Similarly, when Wyman himself appears in the wolf's den and tells Davos that someone else has been killed in his place so that people think Wyman carried out his threat, he tells Davos, Your head and hands were mounted above the seal gate, with your face turned so your eyes looked out across the harbor, and also that carrion crows and seabirds squabbled over your eyes. So, fake Davos, Favos, has had his eyes torn out, giving him a better weirwood face. He also died by the axe, as a tree should, and of course, chopped off hands leave stumps, you'll note. His bloody hands and head have been mounted up over a gate, which makes me think of all the weirwood doors and gates we've seen, and how Bloodraven describes the weirwoods as gates through which the greenseers can peer. I also can't help but mention that Favos's bloody weirwood head and hands are mounted up so they can see the sea. Think of the green sea that the green seers swim in, and the one that flows through the weir trees that have garths in them, who are old ones, just to bring it back. Hey guys, it's me again, forgetful post-production LML, and I'm feeling a tad guilty for not including a quick word about how the mermaid and merman symbolism of House Manderley ties into Ravenous Reader's amazing Green Sea, Green Seer symbolism. House Manderley started as Knights of the Green Hand in the land of Garth down south, as we mentioned, but were exiled under the sea, so to speak, in the sense that they adopted all the merman symbolism when they moved to White Harbor, which is a port city big on fishing, and also myths of merlings and squishers. So, the Manderleys are like drowned green men who became green mermen. But of course, drowning in the green sea is akin to going inside the weirwood net. That's also why Wyman and his sons are described as corpse-like on a couple of occasions, because we're supposed to see them as green men who went inside the weirwood net, which means dying. Wyman is essentially some sort of green man-god inside the weirwood net realm. Essentially the same post-death Garth archetype as Garth the Old One Jailer here in the Wolf's Den. Continuing on with the green sea weir symbolism here, we can observe that the name White Harbor is suggestive of the weirwoods as white trees which harbor green men, or dead green men we might say. And perhaps we're also supposed to think White Harbor, White Arbor, since we do have a place called Arbor in the Reach, which is ruled by the descendants of Garth the Green. Finally, I'll mention that White Harbor is built almost entirely of pale white stone, and Weirwood, of course, turns to pale stone when it petrifies, should it ever die. All right, now back to live me from a couple days ago. So, hopefully you see how all this fits together. 
When Davos goes into Garth's weirwood prison, he gains the symbolism that makes him look like a weirwood, and which signifies him as dead. And Garth the Jailer actually calls Davos dead man exclusively the whole time he's there, so it's not exactly subtle. Even that white onion shoved in the mouth of the decapitated fake Davos head might be meant to evoke the white weirwood paste eaten by green seers. Since we've seen so much other symbolism suggesting Davos as being inside the weirwood prison here. Along the same lines, I noticed that Garth the Old One brings Davos porridge every morning, and porridge looks even more like a stand-in for weirwood paste. Ground up Cranogman brains aside, and yes, that's what the weirwood paste is, jellied Jojen brains, we can observe that Garth, the smelly jailer, is doing the classic fertility god thing of feeding the people here. Garth is also constantly, and I mean constantly, threatening to kill Davos. So we've actually got both ideas about the classic Garth the Green and sacrifice present here. That he either demands blood sacrifice or else himself dies as a sacrifice to feed people. And just at the risk of repeating myself here, just try to picture a green man bringing weirwood paste to the last hero, right? Helping him become a green seer. I think something like this may have happened. Now the highlight of this scene is the story of Brandon Ice Eyes retaking the wolf's den. And once again, we see clues that the old ones are the old gods of the weirwood. One-eyed Sir Cattlehome, I, I mean Sir Bartimus, is telling Davos the history of the wolf's den here. And this is some pretty fun Song of Ice and Fire history in its own right. So enjoy. Then a long, cruel winter fell said Sir Bartimus. The white knife froze hard, and even the firth was icing up. The winds came howling from the north and drove them slavers inside to huddle round their fires. And whilst they warmed themselves, the new king come down on them. Brandon Stark this was, Edric Snowbeard's great-grandson, him that men called Ice Eyes. He took the wolf's den back, stripped the slavers naked, and gave them to the slaves he'd found chained up in the dungeons. It's said they hung their entrails in the branches of the heart tree as an offering to the gods. The old gods, not these new ones from the south. Your seven don't know winter, and winter don't know them. Davos could not argue with the truth of that. From what he had seen at Eastwatch by the sea, he did not care to know winter either. What gods do you keep? He asked the one-legged knight. The old ones. When Sir Bartimus grinned, he looked just like a skull. Me and mine were here before the Manderlies. Like as not, my own forebears strung those entrails through the tree. I never knew that Northmen made blood sacrifice to their heart trees. There's much and more you Southerns do not know about the North, Sir Bartimus replied. All in all, it's a pretty great little passage. It doesn't take a high priest of starry wisdom level myth head like Stone Dancer, the mind's eye world master of the trident, to spot the long night symbolism here. No, sir. The cold winds are blowing. There's a bloody battle, and someone named Brandon Ice Eyes Stark is whooping ass. The frozen White Knife River is an allusion to the Sword Dawn being the original ice of House Stark, meaning that I think the last hero, who was probably a Stark, wielded Dawn against the others. And this is the reason that the Starks have kept up a tradition of naming their swords Ice ever since the Age of Heroes. And of course, I've got a couple of videos about that. Dawn is a big white sword that could be thought of as looking like ice, a frozen white knife, if you will, albeit a big one. And I've also noticed that Dawn and the bones of the others alike are described as looking as white as milk glass. Point being, this is Dawn, Last Hero, and Long Night symbolism in the story. And at the conclusion of it, Blood sacrifice is made to a weirwood heart tree and the old gods inside it, whom Bartimus names as the Old Ones. This whole story is actually just a mirror to the situation inside the wolf's den right now, where we find Garth the Old One eager to kill people, and also a mirror to Winterfell, which is itself a wolf's den, of course, 
very like the weirwood prison here, where we find Ned praying to the old ones inside the heart tree, and where the Starks of old offered blood sacrifice, as Bran saw in his weirwood vision. In other words, these are extremely non-random places that we're finding old ones wordplay, and every scene with this wordplay is simply saturated in clues about the long night, the green men, and the weirwoods. All right, friends, thanks very much for watching this. And now for something slightly different episode of Mythical Astronomy. I will see you next time. And once again, if you haven't watched the Green Men videos, the Isle of Lang and Garth the Green Men, you're going to want to watch those. And of course, I also just did a Weir Walkers video, which also takes the Green Men ideas and sort of pushes them over into the ice side of things. So check that one out too. If you're new to the channel, make sure you click on that red subscribe button below and also click the little red bell to make sure you get all the notifications so you never miss a live stream or a video. And if you want to support the program, you can check out our Patreon account linked below as well as our paypal.me link for one-time donations. That's it everyone and stay green.